Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here, and I am the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders and about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. At 40 Strategy, we help provide strategic planning consulting to help organizations realize and achieve their dreams. Lisa, basically what we do is we help companies and organizations create strategic plans that measure the right KPIs for success. Unfortunately, organizations only spend about 2% of their time or about 40 hour collective hours per year on actually building an effective strategy. And I don't know about you, Lisa, but I think that's pretty crazy. Um, that that would be it. And so at 40 Strategy, your success is our passion. That's why organizations call us to help. Not only do we come up with strategy, but we come up with proven practices that actually work. Harvard Business Review says when you actually focus on the right KPIs, you can triple your success. And who wouldn't want that? So you could email us today, catch, like catching a ball at 40strategy.com or go to 40strategy.com where there's an ability to check a box and you could get some more information. So from there, we'd like, uh, prior to introducing our guest today, we want to talk about, uh, do a little shout out to uh, Chris Colley. Chris Colley is the CEO of Game Changer Publishing based in Fort Worth, Texas. And I just want to thank her and her team so much. Uh, she was a big part of releasing our first book, uh, which is now available on amazon.com. You can uh, check out my name, Carl J. Cox. And uh, thank you, Chris, so much for being a part of that. And this leads us to our guest, Lisa Hardwick. Uh, she's not an ordinary guest. Not only is she, um, I'll talk about that in a moment, but uh, currently, she's currently working at Math Learning Center based in Salem, which is a non-for-profit publisher of elementary math curriculum in the education space. They provide this for pre-K through fifth grade in the United States, and they have international support as well. They've had incredible growth uh, over the past seven and a half years where Lisa has been involved with the company. They've gone from 20 employees to over 80 employees. And from a reach of amount of people, they've actually had a 40 uh, times increase in terms of like a, a amount of curriculum agenda that have gone out, which is absolutely incredible. Prior to that, Lisa was an office manager with her husband, uh, Gary, sorry, Guy Hardwick. <laughs> there we go. Uh, who successfully launched an American family insurance. Uh, office in Salem, Oregon. And he uh, initially was a manager uh, for the corporation. And then he said, well, this is a great opportunity to actually open an office. And so they did that. And they had a lot of success. And he worked for there for 12 years. Lisa is also a mother of two, grandmother of three, and a cancer survivor. Not only is Lisa one of my heroes, but she is also my sister, uh, eight years older than me. So Lisa, it's a true honor to have you on the Measure Success podcast. And I welcome you here today. Thank you, Carl. So we're going to talk about the, the, the business side a little bit. And uh, before we talk about the, the personal side, Lisa. So Math Learning Center, tell us a little bit more about that organization and, and what do you actually do? I actually help schools and districts adopt the math curriculum. So my a position is knowing the product as well as organizing the quotes and purchase and 
shipping the materials. And then I work closely with the professional learning department who sets up all the workshops to teach the teachers how to teach the curriculum. And, you know, you've been there for, for quite a while and seen all this growth. What's changed from when you were first, you know, there and a 20 person company to where you are today, how has the, how has the, the not-for-profit organization changed in its reach and its ability to make an impact? The growth was substantial, a steep climb up. And we, um, I feel like the business was running us instead of us was running the business. And eventually, uh, through the last years, there was a lot of structural organization um, with upper management, development, academic research, and also in all departments. Currently, we are implementing a new CRM and a new ERP system at the same time. So everything has changed, um, except for the product. The product remains the same. Wow. So, so it's just a matter of people. Clearly, that's a sign that this curriculum is making a significant difference, right? Uh, if, that's if, if what the, such reach. Go ahead. That's what the growth means to us is that we're reaching more educators and more students with great feedback. Uh, we are a word of mouth company. We do not do any um, advertising and. Um, just knowing that we are reaching all of these people and they're coming back and saying, my students are doing so well, they're getting the understanding behind the concepts. And it just has been uh, wonderful to see that. And, and you mentioned to me earlier, so not only have you been in the United States, give us a little bit of a flavor of like all the different countries throughout the world that you started to go out to. Uh, we're in China, Japan, Singapore. Um, we are in um, Morocco, uh, Africa. Um, just it's it's really all over the place. It's been uh, it's fun to work with international customers, but it can be difficult as well. <laughs> I uh, noted. I've uh, just, <laughs> just even the, the the logistics part of it could be difficult, but it's been exciting. And at first, I was handling all the international, and then two people, myself and somebody else, and now everybody gets the opportunity to help the international customer. Wow! Everybody on my team. Wow! Well, and yeah, it. Um, it's such a common thing when organizations go and they, they're serving the U S and, and making that transition international has so many different challenges, especially as you mentioned, the logistics side, it seems that we don't even think about it in the U S but mm -hmm. all of a sudden when you have to get through customs in a different area, or you have to get um, just their ability to collect it, uh, receive it is so much different. It's just small and, little challenges. Yes. They're actually, they're kind of big challenges. Yes. You know, they, the, what, what we can pack the product on, you know, it has to be a certain type of a pallet. Mm. You have to have additional paperwork. You have to have the tariff codes for the actual product so that it can get into that country. 
So um, one of the recent ads was Kuwait. So, and we also have it in the UAE as well. Wow. So, yeah, and been great it, watching that. Is it uh, just in English or is it in multiple languages as well now? It is only in English. Mm-hmm. And so that's pretty incredible that you, you've you gone through that, had that success. What, what do you think, other than the pure curriculum itself, which obviously has been a big part of success that's had and going towards it, but what do you think has been a main contributor to keep things all together through that growth that you experienced at the math learning center? I think that the main contributor. Yeah. Is there like one thing um, from internal, like within the company that that's been consistent to help you get through these challenges that you you've seen and experienced? Cause it's not easy growing that, that much over this past seven, eight years. I think it's our mission to inspire and enable individuals to discover and develop their mathematical confidence and ability. And we're not just talking about students. We're talking about everybody, the educators and the students. I think that's well said. You see that that right there is one of those missing pieces often with it with an organization. Once you have and clear, have a clear mission and vision, you can get through all those challenges in between to, to help get to that part. So exactly. So, yeah. So Lisa, let, let's talk about the next thing, which is your experience of growing with uh, American Family. You, you were living in a different town. Um, you found out about this opportunity. American Family wasn't in Oregon, and you helped them launch into the state of Oregon, which is pretty neat. And and then you had this opportunity that guy uh, led, and you helped support to actually open up an agency. Um, tell us about you know, there's, there's a lot of feeling of risk and you change towns and you go in an area where nobody, you know, you don't know anybody, if that makes sense, you know, in the area. Um, tell us, walk us through a little bit about that and, and some of those um, successes and challenges of getting to opening up uh, a, a new region, new office, et cetera. Initially, we were contacted by somebody I went to high school with who came into Guy's workplace that he was currently at and asked him if he would like to be a part of something new. And he said no at first. And then after a few, he'd been at his old position for a long time. He came home one day and he said, we're going to do this. And I thought, cool, this is great. I'm glad that we are going to start something. So initially, our first agency was in Hillsborough. And we sort of developed the idea of having licensed sales reps underneath us and got permission to do that. So instead of just guys selling at that point, it was three people and then myself getting licensed to also do the same thing. Well, we were in, we had a very good, since, you know, American Family wasn't in Oregon, we got in, you know, at the start. When there was, you know, we're spreading the news, American family. And we had a lot of success that first year. And the company came to Guy and asked him to go into management. And going into management meant that we were going to go to Salem. And for two years, we um, 
and I helped him with it. Um, we, we hired and trained agents Mm. and then we decided that we were better suited to going back into our own agency. So we did that. Mm. And, and how was that? So, you know, insurance is an interesting business, right? Because, you know, our, our job is to help ultimately protect the lives of people when something bad happens, right? So they don't have something happens and, and, and they get through it. And, and you, you had real, real positive success in growing that business. What, what did it really mean to you to have an insurance? You know, what was really driving you to have that office, you know, from a, a professional standpoint, but also from a personal standpoint of, of having your own business there? Um, it was helping people initially, just making sure that they had what they needed in case something happened. You know, insurance is a hard gig because it's not a tangible product. It is, I'm buying this in case something might happen. Um, But we grew pretty quickly. Um, We did old-fashioned networking, um, leads groups, uh, cold calls, because back in the day, there was no no no-call list. Um, We would get... uh, to grow it, we would get uh, recent sales transactions of homes and approach those people through a handwritten letter. And it just sort of took off from that, did some newspaper advertising and radio. Uh, we were also in the phone book because we still had a phone book at that time <laughs> as well. So things have really changed since then, but that's how it took off. It was, and it was literally just a lot of hard work, a lot of thoughtfulness. Um, We really wanted to take care of our customers and show them the value of having someone to recommend what they needed for by doing a financial analysis um, and just serving them. Um, we just guy had been in a prior position where he was helping people. So this was uh now but totally different transition. So this is where this I think your story and and going to a different part here, Lisa, of of how things really changed uh for for you and Lisa. I, we were actually at your home uh in Easter. Um and and then something happened to Guy, and and that really had a significant impact on on the rest of both of your lives. So so tell me tell tell the audience a, l- a little bit more about what happened there. You know, Carl's youngest daughter was running back and forth in the room, and he started to get dizzy. And all of a sudden, the world went um, ninety degrees on him. And Sarah was there, who's a nurse, your wife. And she definitely thought that there was something seriously wrong. And so it started with basically a bad vertigo episode. And by the time that some studies were done, he was diagnosed with a meningioma, non-cancerous brain tumor, but sitting in a difficult spot in the sylvan fissure. And 
Um, also within that year, six months, five months later, he was in the hospital having four stents put in his heart. Um, he was almost completely blocked in the ingoing artery and also the major outgoing artery. So they put two stents on each one. And so he had four. And then a year later, his tumor was growing. So, and he could not have the brain surgery until after he was off the blood thinners that he had to take for his heart stents. The coronary artery disease is directly related to his, you know, what his father went through. Father passed away at the age 39. He had had his third massive heart attack. And their bodies just don't make nitric oxide, which is helps, um, well, doesn't really help, but it increases the likelihood of having uh, disease in the coronary arteries. So then he had brain surgery and to remove that brain tumor because it was growing. And so he's had a lot of symptoms over the years. Um, I'm not really sure what was cause of the initial incident, whether it was the heart or the brain. Um, but he is now medically retired. Um, he uh, was sick in 2008. And I think in 2010, they um, basically said that in order for him to stay alive, that he had to quit working. And the first cardiologist, cardiologist gave him five years. And um, he, we are now here 13 years later, mm. and he's still here, yeah. which is um, a blessing because we didn't expect this. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm having, I'm trying to um, keep myself composed here. It was, it was very difficult um, going through all of that. And I, I, if I recall, he was just trying to make sure he hits specific milestones, like your kids grad, you know, your two daughters graduating, you know, from high school, and then getting them to see married, and and you know, and and there always seemed to be a driver of something where he was looking ahead to, let's just get through this, get to this point, and um, you know, guy had as uh, had a remarkable impact. Uh, on your life, but he's also had a remarkable impact on people around him. And so for me as well, when, when, uh, he was sick, it was very, uh, unstable, right. You know, cause you, you're used to somebody that you just trust and rely upon to be there, uh, be there for you. And, um, it's, but what a blessing that he has. Um, he, he's still, um, with us and, and, um, but you, Let's go to the personal side of, of the work side. So here he is, you have this agency. He's not able to work because it's, it's right. too dangerous for him. So what, how did you keep that going, you know, during that, during that transition period? That was a two-year period. Um, I had initially, we had six people in the office and little by little, I let them go and I stopped selling and I maintenance and took care of the 2000 households that we had and businesses that we had um, with support from our district manager um, who allowed the company, 
you know, just said, do what you can, hold it together. So of course, I would help people with additional business, but I basically just focused on running the business. Those were very long days and weeks. And there were a lot of tears involved because I wanted to be taking care of my husband. And in a way I was because I was taking care of the business, but it wasn't the same. You know, it just, I was very concerned for his health and uh, there seemed to just be a multitude of things reacting to medications, et cetera. But that's how I did it. I just focused on taking care of the customers. And yes, it did require long hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, actually, our daughter came back from Hillsboro to help us through that period and look after Guy. Yeah. Callie. Yeah. Yep. yep. No, it was absolutely remarkable of, of all the, 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 um, that part. So, so that's a pretty incredible. And, and so from that, I think the agency was ultimately sold, right? You're able to, uh, or. It sort of, it went sort of, reverted yeah. back to the company and there was a, uh, settlement guy went on disability. Um, we had had, we were fortunate that our district manager talked us into buying a, uh, a disability plan that we paid for privately um, because we had the business. And it was something that I sort of fought against in the beginning because it was just another expense. And we were trying to hire people and we paid into it for 10 years, never thinking that we would have to use it. And it was there. So Uh, Once we uh, retired from the agency, I actually stayed in the agency for another two years and helped a new agent um, try to build the business. And when he decided that insurance wasn't for him, I was um, unemployed for the first time since I was like 15. Wow. And um, I had to find a new job which was a whole new experience. I worked seven or eight hours a day filling out applications and five days a week and was very serious about it. And I was actually unemployed for about 90 days. Lucky for me, it was during the summer. So it was somewhat enjoyable, but um, then I went on an interview to the Math Learning Center. And after that, I told the president of the company, I was interviewed by probably eight or nine people. They came in teams of two or three. Um, They wanted to make sure I fit, I think. Um, And the last thing I said to him was after the interview was, I want this job. And he said, you do. And I said, yes, I do. And they got back to me in a couple of days. Told me I was hired. Wow. Yeah, it, uh, it's interesting. When I've been going through this process of, of coming together the book, I have realized I've been working since 12. I remember working in the strawberry fields <laughs> back in the day, but I, there hasn't been a period of time I haven't worked. And, and so I bet for you having that first time. It was scary. Have, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, because well, not only that, you have Guy, right, who, you know, he, he's, he's, he's unable to full-time work. and you have yourself who is used to always 
working or doing something of of significance. And then there all of a sudden you don't have that opportunity. Um, So, and I had to reinvent myself, you mm -hmm. know, I, I didn't want to stay in insurance. Uh, The district manager talked to me about taking over the business, but I felt that it was guys, baby, quote unquote, baby. And that continuing in it might be hurtful. I didn't really know, but I didn't want to run it by myself. That was something that we did together. And so I knew it was time for me to leave. And they offered me a lot of money to stay, even just temporarily during another transition. And I decided that I just needed to um, make a change in my life. Yeah. And then with the uh, when it came up on Max List in Portland for this position, I um, thought, oh, here's a nonprofit position. I can still help people. Mm-hmm. You know, I could apply for this job and see if that's something that I can still help people. And it it worked out. So that in itself is a pretty awesome story. You know, you have you talk about you have. First of all, the current math learning center, incredible growth and going through that experience. You have the agency and the transitions. There's a whole other part of your life, Lisa, as we know. <laughs> you have an incredible upbringing story that we're not going to talk through. You know, in, in That's depth a good today. idea. Yeah. <laughs> so we won't Let's go through that. Let's not talk about that. Yeah, we're not going to go through that. But, but it truly um, is, is its own book uh, in itself, if not multiple volumes. But all of a sudden you, you were having, you weren't feeling well, uh, a few years ago. What, tell us, tell the audience what, what happened there. Uh, for a couple of years, I had some symptoms of some different things like, um, neuropathy in my legs and some swelling. And I, I just didn't feel right. And I kept going to the doctor and they couldn't find anything. And, the weird, it was just the weirdest thing. And then I got something that was compressing my sp- spine and they flagged it for cancer. And um, honestly, by the time I had my second scan, the whatever it was, and they called it a tumor, was dissipating. It was like vanishing. And we mm-hmm. talked a lot about the vanishing tumor. With the, And I just told the spinal surgeon, I'm like, no surgery. It's going to go away on its own. That's what we're hoping for. So when they were doing a follow-up scan to make sure that that was true, they actually found an aneurysm in my aortic root. And um, that's like a tear in the wall. And uh, it was borderline. And borderline means that it didn't, I didn't need, and I don't need open heart surgery. but they were following up on that three months later and they did a, uh, I ha- actually had an MRI for my heart. And when they did that, I showed some spots in my lungs, like eight different lymph nodes were involved. And right away, the pulmonologist and some others said they flagged it for cancer again, but they, they didn't think it was. And even when I went into the hospital to have the lung biopsy, 
the pulmonologist, when he got done, said, you know, I don't think this is lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And he told that to me and Callie and Haley, my daughters. So a few days later, he called me at work and I went into the conference room and he told me that I had small cell lung cancer. And after kind of knowing that there were two different types of lung cancer and which one is worse, I had the worst one. And my first question to him was, Will they will they offer me treatment? And he said yes, that he thought the oncologist would offer me chemo and radiation. And uh, that everything changed within a week. I was in the hospital getting a port put in. And within another week, I was receiving my first chemo dose, which was a three-day process every three weeks. And, and, uh, through this, you, you know, once again, you have hair today. I mean, you, you had hair loss, you had, I mean, Oh yeah. Right. I mean, t- so what I, I mean, I, every day one of chemo, they gave me 17 pounds of fluid, hmm. 17 pounds, which was wow. the drugs plus the, the water that they, that, you, that they had to give. Um, one day the nurse decided to just, she goes, this is so heavy. I just, I need to weigh it and find out how much it is. I was like, holy cow. And I literally blew up like a balloon. It was so powerful and it was on steroids. And so um, the chemo, it, because the, the type of cancer I had was directly related to smoking. Um. I had quit smoking due to the aneurysm and three months later I had lung cancer and I didn't have it at the time that I quit. So a small cell is something that's diagnosed and often it just, it's very aggressive. So a lot of people, when they're diagnosed, their extent, there's two stages limited and extensive. And I was limited because it was only on the left, the middle of my, my medastium, which is in the middle of the chest and over and just on the left side. So instead of it being everywhere. So that way it was a blessing. But um, yes, I did not work for seven months during treatment. So I had started with chemo. And by the second course of chemo, I was also doing six and a half weeks of chest radiation. and then. Following the chemo and chest radiation, I had brain radiation as a precautionary measure, and that's called uh, prophylactic irradiation. So small cell generally um, travels to the brain or the liver. And so I, even though I knew that maybe I was taking a risk with having radiation to my brain and having lifelong symptoms. I just wanted to stay alive. And so I did what was recommended. So I had it. So now, how many years ago was this? Um, It started uh, like February of 2018. So three years ago. 
And I was back to work later that year in October. So I took the whole treatment time off because I just could not function. There's a neat story, actually, and I, I think it's fair to share of how amazing Math Learning Center was for you in that process. We want, want to maybe share some of the, um, I, I'd say, extraordinary measures they did to help keep you involved and help support your family. They really did. Um, and that's the company is amazing in the way that they treat their employees. But what happened was, is I, it took, you know, you start out and you're on short, short term disability and you have to wait X number of X number of weeks or months to get to the long term disability. And so there were some gaps in income. And my co workers, which was a pretty small group at that time, but um, they all pitched in their own PTO to help me get through that time. So they donated days. And instead of it just being days, I converted those days sort of into cash. So I would get more days from the, you know, the people who had been more long-term who donated compared to the people that say recently we had just hired and trained, but um, they were wonderful. They helped me through the, through the whole process and they stayed in touch and they wrote me inspirational emails and sent things in the mail to make, I just kept thinking I had to, I just had to, you know, I wanted to go back there, you know, when I was sick, that that's part of how I got through. It's just like, I, I, that was my goal was to get back to a regular life, go back to work. It's incredible. Uh, once again, just uh, amazing how much they supported you and, and, and also giving you, I, I think it's so important that we have these things that we uh, can go to, right? You know, it helped keep us mind off, frankly, the challenges and the struggles we're going through to, to help have that. Lisa, for those who aren't aware of how um, dangerous small cell carcinoma is, to hit the three-year mark is, is pretty <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, what what is, is the rough percentages just for the audience to have an awareness of this? You know, I've seen as low as 6% of people survive five years. Um, I've seen some more recent numbers because finally, you know, the treatment they give you today is the same treatment they gave people 30 years ago. Hmm. It has not been a uh, researched, I think, the stigma of where it comes from uh, discouraged any type of research to change it. And only in the last couple of years, I've seen, of course, when they've introduced new drugs and oral chemo, et cetera, they still don't use that for small cell, but perhaps they will at some point find uh, a better treatment uh, because a lot of people die within six months because basically you're asymptomatic and Mm. then all of a sudden people are coughing up blood or, you know, they're, they're just, they've gone too far. And it, I, you know, I, I didn't, I couldn't find anybody in all of my treatment that actually had any kind of lung cancer. Most of the people that I met, um, 
at radiation were um, females with breast cancer, which we have the tools to find breast cancer. And that just goes to show you that the more tools we have to discover things, the better, uh, the better op you might have more time, you know, and I kept thinking about it, not in terms of living or dying. Well, I worried about dying a little bit, but um, my goal was to have more time, yeah. you know, because I wanted to see my grandkids grow. Mainly, I want them to be old enough to have memories of me. Mm. And that's been a huge focus over the last three years is creating those memories with them so that they remember they, ha they have a yaya, a grandmother. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and Yaya's grandmother in Greek, for those who uh, are, are familiar with the Greek heritage and um, <laughs> terminology. Um, Lisa, so that's incredible of of uh, story. You know, what's one thing I have a good friend that I told him recently about your, your cancer. And he said he he had this kind of wide eye. He actually treats this cancer often. He's, he's in the pharmaceutical industry. And he just said, yeah, Carl, this is... Um, he said, this is typically, it, we're just, tr just trying to take care, give them pain relief yes. because, because the recovery is so difficult um, yes. often to get to a state where you're in a position where you can be working and, and contributing and being, you know, with your grand grandchildren, um, what a, what a blessing has been. Um, and, and I want to just share, I think I may have shared with you, I, I remember calling you, I, this is not about me, the story, but it just gave me a little bit of empathy. I, I had my first kind of serious bout of, of I had a, um, my appendix burst and I was in the hospital for a week and it, it wasn't a fun experience. And, um, but that was just a small thing, a one week and just a few days of an NG tube, right? Um, and, and you had pain and challenges for months and months and months and, and, I remember calling you and just saying, I'm so sorry, because I, I finally had a little bit deeper empathy of, of um, those who are in these challenging chronic conditions and, and, and dealing with it. And it just, um, I, I, I'm grateful. It gave, opened my eyes a bit, you know, to, to those who are suffering. And once again, it's nothing what I had, um, but, but I appreciate you, Lisa, of how uh, you have been so strong um for yourself and and for your family and for your, your children and your grandchildren um and and for me you are have truly been an inspiration and, Thank and you. i think in any way you you um uh, are the testimony of measuring success of, of that you've come through all these challenges i said this is just a part of the story uh <laughs> to those in the audience lisa has you know <laughs> Uh, yes, but I'm here. I feel like I'm here for a reason, even though I've had these challenges. I think that suffering um, brings you closer to God. I think that it makes you, brings your focus back to what is important. And that is your, your family and your friends. And, um, I don't think you should belittle what you went through because it was, I'm sure that you questioned whether you were going to make it through it or not, you know, because you were, you were really sick. And I don't think that you can compare. It's not 
right to compare and not say that you didn't go through the same thing because it wasn't cancer. I mean, that was a struggle, Carl. We were seriously worried about you as well. Yeah, it was not fun, um, for sure. And and uh, for those who, um, I think I think the the important lesson, you know, for uh, a is is you think of Guy, you know, I think of Lisa, you know, yourself, Lisa, and then myself. Fortunately, we actually did go see the doctor. <laughs> and and we did go check things out and thank God we had healthcare, you know, yes. to, 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 and, uh, to take care of it, help take care of it. And, yes. and then we were diligent enough to follow through with yes. what we're supposed to do. And, and I think that alone, and then also, I think the lessons that you provided with, with yourself and with guys is, is having these additional points of where you're fixing your eyes on something else, not just yourself. Right. To get yourself through the the hardship, right of of that you go through, because I can't imagine going through a seventeen gallon bag of of chemo, and I hope I never have to go through that. And I hope, um, but just the 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 challenge of going through that and all the conditions afterwards, um, I think that's the lessons for our audience to hear is to to put your eyes on something else than yourself, so you can get through the challenges, um, whatever they may be. I agree. I think that um, having a goal. Um, living one day at a time, living in the moment, like living each day, looking towards the future, but also just taking it a day at a time and realizing that, that you just need to keep moving forward. You got to keep getting out of bed. You got to keep getting dressed. Um, there were some times I was absolutely exhausted. Guy and I have talked a lot about the spoon theory. It's a story about a lady who had uh, uh, leukemia, I think. And she's trying to explain to her friend why is she so tired. And they're in a restaurant. She goes and she gathers up all the spoons from the tables. And she's like, this spoon is to get ready. And every single task that you do when you're sick, and you give away the spoon and you have to reserve some for what you want to accomplish each day. So sometimes when you're really sick, it's just hard to brush your teeth and get up and get cleaned up. And um, I watched that with Guy, you know, and that's, you know, in a way he was a good example of how to face uh, an illness. And he was an example to me how strong he was and taking the, taking the time to stay in the day and live each day and be grateful for that day. And then being grateful when you wake up, you know, first thing I say every day is like, thank you for the day. When I, when I wake up, I'm like, I get a new day. Lisa, this is, uh, I, I knew this was going to be a special podcast. Um, and, and we do have a future goal, you know, you and I, in three years, um, we're, we're, we're going to make it to this Boston marathon and, yes. um, it's, uh, and I'm going to be there 50. to cheer you on. Thank you. I, I, uh, have my, I, I, I have some funny stories of my failures that I have not been recording recently because <laughs> it's been really pathetic, but, uh, today I, I try to run six miles and, and uh, continue the path of, of getting towards there. Once again, this is going to be a three-year journey. And 
Um, by the way, I'll be doing a charitable contribution to get there because I probably won't be able to do it <laughs> from pacing. <laughs> but but uh, the goal is to get there, nevertheless. Um, and we're both for uh, those. We're both from Boston Lynn area. Uh, and once again, it's a different story. But Lisa, this has been amazing. Um, and, Thank and, you. And I really, really appreciate this. I am so proud of you and grateful uh, for all the courage that you had. And, and as I said, you've truly been a hero from my perspective and Thanks. a hero to uh, those around. Um, la my last final question I'd love to ask people, what, what, uh, what are you reading these days and what's keeping you motivated and, and, and something that you know, you'd like to share with others? Um, I am not reading any book books per se. I am very, this is busy season at work and we're implementing both these new uh, data systems, but the beginning of the year, I, I made a commitment and that was to listen to a one a day podcast and it is the Bible in a year. And I've been really enjoying that. So I'm committing 20 to 30 minutes a day for growing my spirituality, um, understanding what God wants for me and wants for me. And I have been really enjoying it. It's been very inspiring. And we are still in the Old Testament. I just got, we just got to the Gospel of John. So the Old Testament was, you know, the history is, is hard to listen to, I think, um, in the in the Bible. But you know, now I'm getting to some more positive things. <laughs> I think the history is difficult, you yep. know. Yep, yep. Um, but but I've been I've been up. enjoying that. That, that and I awesome. always keep in my mind that like hope and faith are the pillars of the world. Like that's what drives absolutely. moving forward yep absolutely so to our to our, uh those in the audience so we, we we have been talking with lisa hardwick um where can people learn about uh more about your company they can go to our website which is uh org. you'll find the history of the company uh, the origins, who are the leaders, and about the product, and how we believe in visual models. Uh, um, re get re rather than remote memorization, which was how I learned math. Um, and they keep calling it the new math. So uh, parents can get frustrated if they don't know the... Uh, the kinds of things that we're implementing, but uh, once they see their child or their student succeed with it, they start learning themselves. It's been great. And then on a personal basis, there might be people out there from from your guys, you know, story with Guy and dealing with the challenges that have with that, and then your own personal. Um, efforts in surviving uh, the battle of cancer um where 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 are you comfortable with people reaching out to you um to so they can maybe reach out to you if they have questions or they want to hear more to help them inspire to get through their own challenges they can uh reach out to me on facebook 
Um, and I'm my uh, what I'm under on Facebook is Lisa Talty, T A L T Y Hardway. Perfect. And that's my Facebook page. All right, Lisa, this has been truly a, a wonderful uh, uh, podcast. Thank you so much for your time. And, 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 and uh, to those in the audience, we thank you for listening to the Measure Success podcast. And we're wishing you the very best at measuring success. Thank you, Lisa, thank so much. Thank you, Carl. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes. Thank you.